business community with me, Heather Noble. And me, the vegetarian, Tracy Jones. Vegetarian, not vegan? Not vegan, no. The reason I mention this is because we're talking about plant-based meat, which is vegan, not vegetarian. How long have you been vegetarian? All my life, I think. <laughs> I've never really? liked never liked meat, um, but officially with the label since the age of 15, which is quite a while ago now. Oh, not long. Uh, I was very lucky. Um, so in the 80s, when I was 15, um, my mum was a chef. So she sort of stepped up to the challenge of me being vegetarian. She bought an amazing cookbook by a lady called Sarah Brown, which is still one of my key cookbooks. It's got a brilliant recipe in there for something called red dragon pie. And no dragons were harmed in making red dragon pie. Is it a Welsh recipe? Uh, not necessarily so, but I think we could assume <laughs> it is, couldn't we? Uh, it wasn't referenced in Wales in the um, cookery book. I don't believe Sarah Brown is Welsh. But yeah, I reckon Wales should own it because it's a damn good... It's like a cottage pie, but made with the dookie beans. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you were probably around that time when if you went out for a meal, you, it was basically omelette for the vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or a blank look. A or a blank <laughs> look. Yeah. But things have moved on quite a pace since then, haven't they? They have. Yeah. It was around about that time that I went to France on a French exchange as a vegetarian. As a vegetarian at the age of 15 in the mid-80s. And I I decided for the sake of my host family that I would not be a vegetarian. But when I came back, I was very firmly a vegetarian. <laughs> Wait, actually, to, to um, be perfectly honest, the worst meal I had there was completely vegetarian. Yes. It French was, like their meat, yeah. don't they? It, it was a plate of radishes one Friday. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like a huge mound of freshly picked... I, I feel quite nauseous just thinking about it now. A huge mound of radishes and some butter and some salt and some bread. And, and yeah, I feel, I feel a little... <laughs> just thinking about it. I feel it. a bit gassy just thinking about that. <laughs> but since then, yes, you're right. Vegetarian food in restaurants. It, we've moved through the phase of it being uh, pasta. Yep. So, you know, the uh, pasta slop. Um, to there being, you know, even completely vegetarian restaurants. Yeah, and and so that that's brilliant for the vegetarians amongst us. But we also now have had there's much more vegan. I mean, we when you see a menu now, it will say if it's vegan, vegetarian, yeah. whatever. Plus all of the other dietary requirements that people, yeah, you know, are are accommodating these days in businesses. But this whole plant-based foods thing has moved, and I think this is why we're talking about it, it's moved from restaurants onto the supermarket shelves. Yeah, and I think as well, quite importantly, it's moved just from people like me or from people who um, are doing it for ethical reasons. I have to say, I, I am concerned about the welfare of meat, but if I'm honest, it's mainly because I don't like meat. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, when we do buy meat for the family, because sadly the rest of my family love their meat, um, we, we try and buy high welfare meat. Um, but I think now a lot of people are considering vegan foods and plant-based foods for health reasons and for sustainability reasons. It's gone a lot broader than that small niche that it was um, all those years ago. It has. And also, I think what we're seeing is that the price is coming down. So once upon a time, um, 
if you if you wanted to eat better quality meat for example it, you know it would be very expensive uh, and now if you can have substitutes that are affordable and you can make if you're on a budget and you can make food go further with some of the meat substitutes you know the, yeah. the plant-based stuff i think it's much more accessible it's not just you know um, hippies knitting muesli and you know it, it, it's much more every day but did you know and this is something i found out from the research i was doing um for this podcast in an article from insider.com i didn't know that veggie meats have been around since the late 1800s okay you're gonna to have to tell me a bit so more apparently about and, and we do trust insider.com we, we yeah. use their material quite a bit so i have no reason to doubt them but apparently they said that john harvey kellogg developed the peanut based meatless meat called nuttos never heard in of the it. late 1800s yeah but neither have i so it clearly didn't take off at the no. time but I think what is important is a lot of the big companies now are investing in plant-based meat and big style. It's yeah. a growing market and, and all the research is pointing towards it being a, a massive growth market. But also um, non-dairy milk. Yeah. You know, so people moving towards, largely that started because of lactose intolerance, etc. However... It's now developed into, you know, mass-produced milk. So uh, almond milk, oat milk, you know, th those types of things are, are serving the purpose that milk serves, but in a non-dairy way. And I think that um, there was an article actually um, on Tuesday of this week um, in the vegan, on the Vegan Society website, and they were talking about how many people have actually, as a result of the COVID pandemic, altered the amount of plant-based foods or non-meat-based foods so there's been a big really? surge well why did they think that was because they had more time to plan their food or it, a other reasons well they, they attribute it to a combination of people focusing much more on their health and well-being okay people exercising more and taking more of an interest in their their fitness levels their health levels um so there's that and also and I don't know if it's just coincidental that um, that COVID was was happening, but um, also from the environmental point of view, because the environment, you know, yeah. I think we've all become a bit more appreciative of what's around us, what we've got, mm -hmm. um, because as, as our liberties have been taken away from us, focusing on the countryside, focusing on what we eat, what we put in our bodies, etc., has, has, has sort of moved up the agenda. And the statistics are... Now, of course, this is on the Vegan Society website. Let's not um, let's not make let's make no bones about that. I probably shouldn't say that, should I? <laughs> bones uh, about that. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> but, oh dear. But um, but they were they were saying that um, as a result of the survey and the different elements um, and different motivations, they were saying that eighty six percent of people. Um, who have made alterations have cut back on animal products during lockdown and the three motivations are um, health environment and animals okay so it's not going away any anywhere soon but it's been around a bit longer not back into the 1800s with mr kellogg's but you know 2018 i think um 
was it Tesco who launched their Wicked Kitchen Vegan Meals, mm. um, which, you know, I'm, I'm surprised that it was that long ago because I really feel that it's quite a new thing. Uh, I've been aware of them, but I've got to say, being a person who doesn't like the taste or texture yeah. of meat, all of these amazing products, which now I can give to my family and pretend that they're meat, yeah. um, they, they, they pass their quality test, but they're too meaty for me. So I'm not interested. Because it's a texture thing as, as well. Yeah, texture, um, taste, smell, and, and also the idea of what it, what it is that you're eating. So, you know, if, if it feels like meat and it smells like meat, it's too much like meat for me. Yeah, I understand. But did you know what the, um, what the common ingredients are for plant-based meat? I did look it up. No. Can you begin to imagine how it's made? It's soya. No, it's a real mixture. Soy used to be the um, the real thing, you know, in the 80s and 90s. You go to a health food shop and get yourself a big bag of dehydrated soya chunks. Yeah. Um, but now it's vegetable protein, um, vital wheat gluten or seitan, coconut oil, beans, spices, soy, uh, beet juice extract to okay. give the blood. Oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah. rice. Rice? Rice, yeah. Because somebody started the whole bleeding burger thing, didn't they, with yeah. the beetroot juice? Which I, I really, I mean, I I don't like bloody meat. I anyway, don't want my but... vegetables to bleed ever. No, no. <laughs> but I can see why, because they are appealing to that that section of the population who are who like meat and and are choosing to reduce their intake of meat for other reasons rather than yes. dislike of meat. Yeah. yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, they were, again, in in the um, in the article I was reading, they were talking about you know when McDonald's brought in um, their their vegan menu, the McPlant menu. <laughs> spent to somebody, they spent paid somebody a lot of money to come up with that. I should think um, uh, that sort of gives an endorsement, you know, that this is this is for the masses. Um, and they they were predicting that the plant-based food market will grow by 11.9% by 2027 and value it at $74.2 billion. Wow, okay. That's big money. That's a big growth from now as well. They, they're talking about a steep incline, aren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think as well what we'll find is that that market will grow... Um, more steeply because as they sell more then the price to produce goes down so people buy more so the price to produce goes down I think it's a you know it, it's it's quite a neat little exercise in supply and demand isn't it yeah yeah the I suppose you know we hear that it's about the environment etc etc but I it's really hard to imagine what that actually means well for me it's hard to imagine what that actually means um but uh an organisation um, who makes something called pulled oats, which is an alternative to traditional mints. Um, they say, when you think that 30% of all greenhouse gases come from food production, and by changing one meal, one meal to pulled oats, you're saving seven bathtubs full of milk, wow. uh, of water, sorry, which is 1,321 litres compared to a dish the same dish made from beef based yeah. beef based beef based ingredient yes and so then you start to think okay yeah so seven baths full of water 
Can you put your teeth in next time when we go? Really Thank isn't you. It? Um, so then that starts to yeah, you can go, okay, I can visualise that. Uh, and that is a significant difference. I was also looking at um the the health benefits of it because obviously um plant based meats can fit into a healthy diet. But I was reading a little bit about um just advising caution because it still is a processed food. Okay. So, you know, as as you would say in a normal meat eating diet, try not to eat too much processed food during your your, your week, mm-hmm. then actually don't replace every meal with processed plant-based meat. Yes. Because uh, yeah, actually, yeah. Um, I'm just having a look here, um, ground beef compared to a Beyond Meat burger, um, and this is from insider.com, so the source they use was Food Data Central, um, Beyond Meat's own data, so that's quite quite good. Um, calories lower with Beyond Meat, protein higher marginally, saturated fat quite a lot lower, but sodium massively higher. Right. Yeah. So if you're on a low sodium diet or any concerns about that, or indeed if you replaced every meal with that processed meat, your sodium intake is going to go up massively, even though your calories and your protein and your saturated fat is going to, oh, and iron is going to improve and cholesterol. But so, it, yeah, and I'm aware of this, obviously, because I've been looking at kidney-related diets for a family member, and that would be a real no-no with the, the sodium levels in that plant-based burger. And suddenly I'm panicking because I feed my son plant-based burgers instead right. of meat. Yeah, okay. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to rethink my family menu. Well, it swings and roundabouts, isn't it? It's like if you go on a low-fat diet, you know, but then suddenly everybody's pumped, everything's pumped with sugar to give it flavour. Yeah. Um, so it's not necessarily low-calorie. Uh, I also saw that... Uh, if you cut meat from your diet, you can save about £600 a year. Now, obviously, that's an average, so typically. Um, and they also say that more than a quarter of evening meals cooked at the moment are vegetarian or vegan. Hmm. So people have, like, meat-free Mondays, things yeah. like that. I'd like to think as well that potentially we could get to a point where people are buying higher welfare meat in smaller quantities yeah. because I think one of the issues is with things like a, a free range meats that they, they typically can't serve the the market in the volume mm. that they demand from factory produced meat hence why probably why they, they go to factory produced meat for, for so much of it because you just can't meet that demand whereas if you're d- demanding less then you get that balance a little bit right you know so mm. when you go to your local farm they can keep up with the demand and you're contributing to a more sustainable planet and yeah yeah a business model that works yeah that works that you just mentioned beyond meat can i uh, i i don't know if you know but i've got quite an extensive share portfolio okay and um yeah and uh, earlier in the year i um i signed up for revolut okay and I have uh, I have some gold. I own some gold. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. I invested ten pounds. It's down. I've to got gold in my teeth. Well, but we've probably yeah. got more. <laughs> we've got more gold there than so. It's not. Yeah. So that's pretty shocking. Um, I uh, invested in some cryptocurrency. That's not doing as badly. That's that's I'm actually up on the deal. There's two extremes there, from gold to cryptocurrency. I know. I know. Well, I'm very naive when it comes to the the markets. But I invested in, I saw the company name Beyond Me and I thought, well, that's got to be one to back. Wow. Because this is an emerging, a growing market. And indeed, it was doing really, really well, my small stake 
in the, I don't think I own Small steak. Small steak. <laughs> <laughs> you full of it tonight. <laughs> Um, but the shares are, are dropping, and is that because there are more entrants to the market? Absolutely, yeah. yes. Because I was like, "Well, what's going on here?" Because this is a no-brainer, uh, and yeah, it's because m- there's more and more competition, and other organisations are better at attracting yeah um, investment. So, but it, it will be interesting to see how they respond to that competition. It could be a good thing; it, it encourages them to develop. I mean, for the long haul, yes, I think. I think well. so. Perhaps, yeah. 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 We'll talk a little bit more about share ownership later on. It's quite relevant today. Indeed, it is. Okay. Indeed, it is. But if you're involved in the food industry, if you if you're running pubs or restaurants or cafes or whatever, and you are seeing a change. In the demands that you, that people want, um, then please let us know. Get in touch with us. You can you can find us on Facebook or you can uh, contact us via our website, which is the business community. Okay. So yes, Heather, we're now going to review a podcast. I have to hold my hands up and say I have listened to several of these podcasts, but what I find myself doing is nodding <laughs> off before they've finished. <laughs> And it is really, really not not a judgment on the podcast. I've just got myself in this awkward space where it's like hypnosis and I'm listening to a podcast and then I've drifted off and then we're about three podcasts further down the list. I absolutely, I made a note that I think it's the accent and it's very soporific. I said, um, I, in fact, we're talking about... Um, uh, yes, uh, yes, let's, yeah, get, let's, let's get, get, get to the get point. To yeah. We're talking about Unemployable, the podcast. But it's actually called Seven Figure Small, but we, we, oh, sorry. we yes. went to it because Via. of the link that yes. said Unemployable. Yes. We thought, oh yeah, we understand that. That's self-employed people who are now unemployable yeah but the podcast is actually if you want to look for it on your podcasting platform it's called seven figure small with brian clark yes sorry yeah no you're absolutely right but if you that's why i was rushing because if you go to unemployable.com you can read the transcripts instead of listening to oh i wish i knew that (laughs) so that's that's a much more um, satisfying thing for me. Yeah, you, you can, get to the end. You can speed read it. <laughs> Do you think it's because we're ladies of a certain age or we're just like having nana naps or something? No, for me personally, I, I just found that the, the one that I listened to, um, the voices were just very soporific. Yeah. And, and, and it does sound like um, it's a negative, but I was really enjoying them. And I, w- I was gutted that I'd missed. I might, I might have even missed a, an episode in between the one yeah. that I woke up. And it wasn't even like it was bedtime. I just no, sleep just in the day. They, they last about 40 minutes, most yeah. of them, don't they? Yeah. And I could say that the, the presenters are the ones um, that I listen to. They're friends. And, and they you can clearly tell they were getting on well. They were having a good conversation. I, I was really, I really felt part of it. Can you imagine if I'd have been part of that conversation? Just nodding off in yeah, the corner. Exactly. There she goes again. <laughs> So which ones did you listen to? So, well, I listened to The Seven Pillars of Successful Solopreneurs, where he, um, he Brian Clark um, is, uh, is, is the lead in this, um, and he was interviewing a guy called John Jantz, who wrote 
duct tape marketing. I don't think we've reviewed that. No, no, I don't know that one. It's one for the future. And I haven't listened to this podcast either. Right, okay, okay. So um, anyway, so he was ta- he's talking about the seven pillars of successful solopreneurs. And as I am a solopreneur, I'm a, you know, I'm a one-woman band, I thought it would be interesting to see what uh, what he comes up with. And basically, it's his... Um, his rationale is based on the writings of Ralph Waldo Emerson, uh, who talks about self-reliance, but it's been updated for the modern entrepreneur. And in a nutshell, um, you can also access the seven pillars, which are trust, courage, curiosity, mindfulness, non-judgment, resilience oh, gosh, yeah. uh, and gratitude, uh, which I think is, is a biggie uh, because sometimes we have to just, Remind yourself. Yeah, we always, not always, we have a tendency, many of us, to focus on the negative. Um, And and this this book um, that he's written, uh, he describes it as, and I love this, it's not a how-to book, but a why-to book. Hmm. And I thought that was brilliant. Not how to do something, why to do something. Uh, It's a bit bit like that idea of find your why, isn't it? And then the... The how and the what will f- yeah. will follow, yeah. yeah. Or the what and the how, yeah. What did you listen to? Uh, well, one that I really, really enjoyed, but I still sadly missed the end of. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I still don't know how it finished, but um, I picked up a few gems. Um, but it was um, Paul Jarvis, so it was Brian Clark uh, talking with Paul Jarvis about building a personal enterprise while ditching the personal brand and it really struck a chord because we've been talking over the last few weeks about the people that we've been profiling you know there's not much about that personality there or this person's really giving you an insight into them and who they are um, i.e. Derek Sivers and you get a real sense of who that is and he was arguing about the fact if you want to grow and build a personal enterprise then you do that without build, building it all around you because you've got no exit plan. Yes. If the brand and the business that you're building is all about you, yeah. how do you sell it on? How yeah. do you exit? How, yeah, if it's hellanoble.co.uk yeah. and that's the brand, yeah. And they, they gave happens? a few examples. Um, so I think, if I remember rightly, Paul is one of the ones who built a, a business and then sold it. Okay. Um, and, and moved on. He, he built this uh, personal. So, all of the businesses that they talk about in these podcasts are are small businesses. They yeah. don't employ a lot of people. They've got they're called seven figures because they're you know they're seven figure small. Is that they've got big turnover, but few if any employees. Well, he's done that, and he talked. He gave some examples of um, entrepreneurs who have built their business around them. And examples of how they've recognised their mistake and are turning it round. They're trying to extract, trying to backtrack, not backtrack, but as you say, extract. Steer, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that they've got actually got a, um, a a business that stands on its own two feet without that person's name. It's interesting because he was saying it's um, with a social media that we've got. It's sort of expected, and and we fell into that that whole category, didn't we, expecting that business person to have the personal brand. But it did make me rethink. And I think that's it's always a good thing, isn't it, when you've got a strongly held opinion and then somebody says something to make you go, oh, yeah, yes. yeah, I'm, I might rethink that. 
um, I might, I'm not, I'm not sure I would wholeheartedly agree that there's no personal at all because I think I personally, I want to know who it is. I'm buying stuff off and I will engage with it, but I really see the point with it. And, and I thoroughly, um, I, I thoroughly accepted that I needed to reconsider is that, as yeah. far as I should go. However, I think that it does somewhat depend on what the business is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm the only employee in my business. Therefore, what you see is what you get, love it or hate it. So people have got to buy into you. Got to buy into me, yes. Yeah. If you run a pub, you know, in the olden days, you know, people would go to a pub because the landlord was, you know, they either liked him or they didn't like yeah. him. Um, now that's slightly different because it's about so much more. It's about the food and it's about the staff. And you, so if you're running a pub where you're the reason why people come there, that's not a great strategy anymore. Yeah. Because when you drop down dead, why are people going to come to that pub? And, yeah. and if you want to sell it on... Well, you can't retire, can you? Well, no, exactly. Yeah. So I think it does depend a little bit. If you're selling widgets, people don't really care who they're buying them from. Yeah. I think it does depend slightly on that. The other one I listened to, and again, I didn't get to the end of, um, I listened to three. I might have listened to more sub subliminally <laughs> while I was sleeping. Um, but how to be someone's favourite podcast. I thought we could learn from that. Do you know, I nearly listened to that and then I thought, oh, it might depress me. <laughs> and they make a good point that there's a lot of podcasts podcasts out there, but that's not the same as there being a lot of truly engaging podcasts. Oh, I've been told. <laughs> um, they say people tend to think that if you just get the right guest, then people will download your stuff. And he's talking here particularly about people who use the podcast to promote their business. Yeah. And obviously one of the things is that you can't just do a sales pitch the whole way through the podcast. You've got to give people something that they actually want to listen to. And if you sort of bookend the podcast with with your sales pitch that's fine but the the actual content has got to encourage people to want to download it that's really interesting because the one that i listened to uh at one point he says now how about this as a statistic and he reads this statistic and then it it, it leads into him reading this advert <laughs> i thought he was sharing some interesting fact he's like oh, oh no this is an advert and then and then we go back to um, to what we're talking about. So, yeah, interesting, <laughs> interesting. But of course, we don't have guests. It's no. just us. So it's a different. Again, it's a different. Yeah, we're we're not relying on the the guest to sell the show. No. We're we're relying on our winning personalities yes. and engaging conversation and our loyal listeners. Exactly. Oh dear listener. God, <laughs> our loyal listener. Hello, mum. <laughs> But I think it is really, um, it's really highly recommended from me because if you're looking to build a personal business, but you want it to grow, but you don't want to go down that route of an empire and, and employing hundreds of people, there are, there's a lot of material in here that I think could be really useful because all of the people they speak to are people that have done just that. They've grown a personal enterprise um, but you know, big returns or sold it on, or yeah. you know, or found success with it. Great. Okay, so let's just get the name of it right then. So it's seven pillar. No, seven figure. Seven figure. Small. Small. By Brian Clark. Clark. Yeah. And he himself has started 
several businesses. So um, he went from solo to CEO and back again. So he's obviously very good at um, traversing the route of business. Now, let's go back to shares. You shares. Know, I've, I've shared my share portfolio with you and I know I've blown your mind. So um, what do I own shares in? OK, I have owned shares for a long time because when I was in my 20s, I was a member, a founding member, darling, of an investment club with some friends. Okay. So we, we got into this whole put £20 a month in and let's see what we can do. And we three of us that were, were in the club, um, we still own shares in them. We, we went our separate way after a few years, after the novelty of meeting and discussing share ownership. And uh, also af after we lost, one. we lost all the money that we invested in Northern Rock. <laughs> okay. Um, and we divested as well. So we, we did make some money from it. We're quite pleased. Um, and we, we learned quite a bit about shares motley fool i think we mentioned on the podcast before yeah. as has been a resource that we used a lot at the time um so i still own cafe direct shares from then and my friends owned some um, shares in triodos bank which that she she did well out of that okay. one and uh, my other friend owned some shares for an ethical property company um but last year uh covid sort of gave me a little bit of space to think about something fun to do. So I um, went on Cedar's platform. I was originally researching it for the, the podcast uh, and just looking at companies that were using it as a platform to raise funds. And while I was looking, I thought, well, I think I might buy some shares in this company called Cheeky Panda. Okay. Because they sell bamboo toilet roll. Ouch. <laughs> You're thinking of canes, aren't you? Like bamboo <laughs> canes. Yeah. No, it's just Not like an obvious. No, no, it's just just like normal toilet rolls. <laughs> um, but I've always um, been quite interested in bamboo as a product, an alternative product, because uh, our downstairs at the back of the house is bamboo flooring. We got so bamboo laminate, and the wood on our kitchen surfaces is bamboo as well. Okay. It's a good, it's very sustainable. Sustainable, crop, isn't yeah, it, it is. Um, so, um, toilet roll was a big thing last year, wasn't it? If you'll remember, oh gosh, so I just thought bamboo, toilet roll, pandas. I'll buy some of those shares. So, I've got some shares. The first ones I bought through Cedars were Tiki Panda, and then I've got some noodles, and I've got oh, some dog food company stuff, I've got um, some flushing system company i've i've lost toilet time. flushing toilet i've got this toilet fetish i've <laughs> just realized yeah okay um how are the shares doing well that's the thing with with cedars and because it's startup investment you're not really expecting a return you're more sort of in at the ground level and you don't tend to you can sell on the secondary market but it tends to just be you're in it then and you're not expecting a massive return um immediately but I'm thinking that maybe if I hold on to these cheeky panda shares for a while, I'm getting good vibes from other things that I've invested in. That you know that they, you're supporting a small business in a very small way. I hasten to add for me, um, but it, it wasn't so much about making an immediate return. It was more about actually being in a very small way an angel investor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it sounds like. It you know it will pay off at some point because this this company is targeting 
10 million pounds worth of sales this year yes and you know what's more important is that one of the co-founders chris forbes is uh, photographed on his linkedin page with a panda hat on i know yeah i'm not i'm not sure about that i like that do you i do well well yeah i mean it's fun but then the only photos I was able to find of him were him Wearing with panda that, hats. that. Yeah, and his wife, who's his business partner. Maybe it's not a hat. Maybe it's just their hairstyle. That's how they look. They've had their hair styled <laughs> into a panda face. Yeah. So uh, Chris Forbes is is who we were looking at. Um, his partner Julie Chen is a co-founder as well. And uh, I started off by looking at LinkedIn, Heather. I don't know what you did, but apparently it's a, a second connection for me. I have two other people in common with Chris. Uh, I think I. Yeah, I think I'd got a couple, but mm. I don't... I, yes, I don't know how. But when you type his name in, his LinkedIn profile is the first thing that comes up. Mm. Well, yes, when you type in Chris Forbes, the first thing that comes up for many pages is as an actor. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. you have to ch- type in Cheek, Chris Forbes' Cheeky, cheeky Panda. Panda. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, it, and, yeah, and it's all there. It's all there. He isn't an actor as far as I know, this Chris Forbes. He doesn't know. He, in fact, he's run quite a few businesses. He's been... Uh, He's worked in um, executive um, selection, hasn't he? Recruitment. Yep. Um, he's run. He's run a few businesses. Comes from a corporate background. I like one of his first entries on LinkedIn. He worked in the middle office for a- ABN Amro, and he just says uh, five words: pushed paper. It bored me. Perfect. Okay. He's not hoping to go back to ABN Amro at any time soon. I don't suppose. No, it's interesting you said about um, the way that they raised funds through CEDA um, because they they basically started with £10,000 um, seed funding uh, and they knew that they wanted... Let's go back a step. The reason that they launched the business is because Julie Chen, his wife, is Chinese and they went to visit her parents and they went to a bamboo plantation and I think she, it sounds like she's not the brains behind the operation, but this is something that she the wanted inspiration. to do. The inspiration. The yeah. inspiration, yeah. She wanted to do something sustainable. Um, she saw um, an opportunity and they decided to run with it. And as I say, they started with £10,000, um, sales from £2 million to £10 million this year. And I have to say, I think I did message you because I knew you'd got shares in Cheeky Panda. Um that uh, I saw them, they are stocked in my local Tesco, which is only a fairly small Tesco, and they do tissues as well yeah. as toilet tissue. And so, they've once you get in with some of the big supermarkets, yeah, you're going to get some market share. Well, um, a colleague of mine um, came, he offered me a tissue the other day, and I, I, I um, had a little bit of hay fever, so he offered me a tissue, not just randomly offered yeah. me a tissue. And it was from a Cheeky Panda packet. I was like, oh, <laughs> Cheeky Panda. But I read something interesting about it, and, and this is sort of gives an insight into the way they develop their business. Their tissues used to be wrapped in plastic right. because they couldn't find another way to do it initially. And, and it's the, that sort of minimum viable product idea, isn't it? Okay, it's not the ideal sustainable product that we'd like, but if the only way we can get these bamboo tissues to market is wrapped in plastic, that's what we'll do. And now they've they've got more um, 
money behind them to research other um, products and they're now able to wrap those tissues in paper. So they are. Yeah. Totally and, and it talks about the fact that uh, if you're always looking for the final product, you'll never get your first product. So I think that's a really good point. Yes, because if, if you wait for it to be perfect, but, well, perfect doesn't exist, does it? No. And, you can, and, and I think sometimes uh, if you're... If you're thinking of starting a business, you can sometimes spend too long procrastinating, waiting for perfection, waiting for the perfect product, the perfect time. And it's a fine balance, isn't it? You've got to get that that balance. You know, you don't want to launch something completely awful and, and then get bad press for it. But You've got least... to believe it's going to have some traction, but you yeah. can fine-tune it. And yeah. you'll get feedback as well, won't you, yeah. I suppose? Do you know what the UK toilet roll market is worth in financial terms? I really don't. 1.8 billion. Wow, okay. Globally? No. 50 billion. I see that that's uh, interesting because Cheeky Panda have made big inroads, haven't they, into the international market, which I think for a company of their size is is quite unusual, isn't it, to actually be able to go internationally with something that is seems like a fairly standard brand, but they found the right way in, into the international markets, and uh, they're doing it with <laughs> with gusto. Yeah, and I think we've talked about um, disruptors in the past. And he says that, you know, the, the market hadn't been disrupted for, for 20 years. You know, it was... It <laughs> no was... one's disrupted the tissue market. Exactly. Yeah. So it, not, I'm not saying it was easy by any um, shape of the imagination, but just to a, a, approach it with fresh eyes, because we've just accepted what we've been given, um, you know, on the shelf, and you just pick it up and you use it and that's it. But um, he, he, yeah, that... Between them, um, they really believed in it to the extent that he, they basically invested everything into setting it up. Yeah. I, I was reading somewhere about that international market. Is it, it cost them a lot of money to, to get their first customers in the international market with, without any guarantee that they get that money back. But the, that paid off for them. And, uh, you know, their, their first international client leads on to another, leads on to another. And they seem to have seem to have cracked it so far. And um, so talking about disruption, I'm just reading here. So a note that I made um, sort of linking back all the way to uh, the beginning of the podcast. He said that food gets disrupted all the time. There we go. Yeah. Um, but not. But tissue doesn't. No, no. <laughs> Maybe it's because, you know, we don't really want to talk about it. You know, we just, it's a necessary. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I'm big in, I'm big in bog roll. It's not really. <laughs> but I, th- I do think that last year with toilet recognising that how mad we can all be yeah. when we don't appear to have enough of something that we don't normally think about or talk about and how panicked you can be if you're going to run out. <laughs> It was completely, I'd sort of forgotten about that, but I do remember being in a Tesco store um, and I could hear this noise behind me. It sounded like, you know, somebody was being ripped to shreds and it was all these women stood around these two men who were unwrapping a pallet of uh, toilet roll. It, it, it was, oh, it was incredible. I found a, uh, he was an interview, um, a, a written interview, uh, and he was talking about his team, the size of his team, etc., and that they're having, you know, they're having fun 
doing this. Um, but he, they said they were. He was asked about um, the team that you build, and you know it's not a massive team. They've got obviously they've got people manufacturing all over the place. Um, but he he said um, he employs a lot of young people. He wants a young team. He wants you know new ideas, etc. And he says something. He says it's having a culture. It's very hard to retrospectively design a culture. I'm a great believer in culture. And if you can create the right culture in your company at the early stages, that it, then it means that when people join at a later stage, the culture is already set and everyone has a sense of belonging and purpose. And I think that's the difference between why companies can be good against companies being great. And really good it's point. very profound. And it's the thing is, it's not often, because they've accelerated and grown so rapidly, it's not often that the person who set up the business is involved in shaping that culture mm. at the point because it sort of starts off you know it's a bit of a business and then you get a few people and culture doesn't really feature and then it's sort of you can't erase everybody's minds and say look this is how this yeah. is the culture oh yeah sorry that that wasn't the culture this, yeah, this is the culture is. i've got a really good um example of that actually i went onto the cedars platform last night just to check out my investments, actually just to look at Cheeky Panda and see if there was any conversation on there. So Cedars is actually quite good because they do have ongoing forums where the shareholders can have communication with the um, business owners and, and oh, the managers. So okay. they, they've got that open communication. But I went on to look at the invest page. So one, one of the pages is just full of all of the pitches by all of the new companies looking for funding. And ordinarily on Cedars, when you look, there's like they're all oversubscribed. They're all over a hundred percent with days, weeks to go. And there was one company on there. I'm not going to name it because I don't want to name and shame. But if you go on Cedars platform, you can probably see it. Um, there's, there's one company that I was aware of, and one company that I've had an involvement with, and it's always been very positive. However, I, I really noticed that it was. Um, it's a double, it was in double figures. It was only at 70, the low 70% with less than 20 days to go. And I thought, that's really unusual. So I did a little bit of digging. I was, I was looking on the forums and seeing why, why would that be the case? What's wrong? Is there something wrong with the product or the tech or the pitch? And all the comments were about reviews that they'd read on Trustpilot and feedback from employees who'd worked there. And that was the key thing. Nobody was wanting to invest in a company where the culture was thought to be bad. And then the founders, the owners of the business were saying, yeah, we're working on that. We recognise that that's a problem. But as you just said there, it's really difficult to reverse engineer a culture. Yeah. If that's the culture that yeah. you're perceived to have, very, very difficult. And of course, it's it's difficult when you are starting a business, you know, if, 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 if it's you and your wife, you're not going to sit down at the point where you're trying to raise funds and you're trying to, you know, come up with your business plan. You've got all of this going on. You say, what sort of culture do we want this business to have? Because, you know, one of you is going to say, look, let's just get a blooming business, shall we? <laughs> and then we'll decide on the culture. And yeah. then it's never the right time. So, But then it, the culture tends to then be an extension of the people that have founded it, doesn't hopefully, it? Hopefully, yes. That's what you would tend to... Yeah. Or the people that you hire to... Um, to run it for you yeah. so yeah it's tricky I did have a look on, on the subject of culture on the Cheeky Panda website and they list three core values um, that they say uh, these values are in everything that they do that's innovate impact and inspire 
So Innovate is creating a sustainable world for future generations through innovative products. I'm saying tick, yeah, they're doing that. Uh, impact, enriching people and our planet without exploiting the environment. Tick. And inspire, inspire a fun, environmentally conscious and healthy lifestyle. Well, if wearing a panda hat in all of your photo shoots is fun, <laughs> then that's a tick. But um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what the culture in the company is like but they're making the right noises on the website yeah so i sure. hope so for sure so uh I, I did just find a quote uh again in, in an interview that he was giving he said uh the question was you know what to do and what not to do and he talks about various things um but he says time is money and my mantra is better to fail fast than spend three years on a concept that eventually stutters to a close yeah, I like that. You know, at least no. <laughs> it's you don't want to you know you don't want to be cruising along for ages thinking maybe this will work, maybe this will work. You've either got to believe it and make it happen, or um, and he talks about how it wasn't him actually; it was the guy in the interview. We always say, um, "Oh well, I failed. I you know I had a failed business." No, no, that approach didn't work. Yeah. It's not, we, all, we, we often say it's me that's failed. Like, yeah, I messed that up. I didn't make that work. No, no, that approach that I, maybe yeah, that I tried. Yeah, because sometimes you can even blame the product, can't you? Yeah. But a different approach with the same product can have a, a, a totally different exactly. outcome, can't yeah. it? Yeah. Very good. Are we doing that whole thing again with quotes? It's a long time since we did quotes. Yes. Yeah, we used to do them all the time. Oh, I think maybe we need to revive that, don't we? Well, only if something jumps out at you as being particularly astoundingly good or terribly bad. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make it my mission now to find a terribly bad quote. Yes. And what's the worst quote of the week? Uh, it, it, and here again, it's... Oh, dear. <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week on The Business Community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Mm -hmm.